0: Good morning. 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 Let's open our Bibles then, without further further delonging, in Nehemiah chapter 11. Our passage for today is Nehemiah 11, verse 1, all the way through chapter 12, verse 26. Uh, I'm not going to read all of those verses. I'm going to read the first six verses, and then I'm going to quickly explain what happens in the rest of this portion. So, let's... Read together. Stand up for uh, reading the word of the Lord. Verse 1. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in their other towns. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. These are the chiefs of the province who lived in Jerusalem. But in the towns of Judah, everyone lived on his property in their towns. Israel, the priests, the Levites, the temple servants, and the descendants of Solomon's servants. And in Jerusalem, lived certain of the sons of Judah and the sons of, Benja- of Benjamin. Of the sons of Judah, Atiah, the son of Uzziah, son of Zechariah, son of Amariah, son of Zephathiah, son of Mahalalel, of the sons of Perez, and Maaseiah the son of Baruch, son of Kolhoseh, son of Azariah, son of Adiah, son of Joyarib, son of Zechariah, son of the Shilonite. All the sons of Perez who lived in Jerusalem were 468 valiant men. And then verse 7 talks about the sons of Benjamin that were living uh, in Jerusalem. Verse 10 talks about the priests that were living in Jerusalem. Verse 15 talks about the Levites that were there. Verse 19 talks about the gatekeepers. Verse 22 talks about the overseer of the Levites and the singers in the temple. Verse 25 to 36 talks about all the villages around Jerusalem where the people lived. Chapter 12 talks about all the priests, Levites, and high priests high priests that came back with Zerubbabel in the first generation that came back to Jerusalem all the way to the days of Ezra, and Nehemiah. So this is the word of the Lord. Thanks you can see. Pray with me. Lord, your scripture is open now before us. Give us hearts to wonder. Show us who you are. Leaders to love you and leaders to love those around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When will be the last time you will die? It's not a language barrier here, I mean, it. I really mean it. <laughs> when will be the last time you will die? There is a saying with this uncertain origin that says that everybody dies twice. Once, when they last breathe, and the second time, when somebody that you love mentions your name for the last time. So when is going to be the last time you will die? Although it is just a saying, there is some truth in there. We eventually will be forgotten. How many of us know the name of our great-great-grandparent? Or even just one? It's rare. Those who are remembered for the longest time are the exception. The life under the sun is cruel. It is a dry land with rust and moth. And this is hard. What really lasts here? What really lasts in this fallen world? Today, our passage talks about this. There is something that moth and rust cannot destroy. We are before today a list of names that resisted the test of time. Names of ordinary people like you and me. These names were preserved, and there is a reason why they were preserved. These names resisted the test of time because they answered a call from God. These names trusted God in hard times with eyes in the future. Today, Nehemiah 11 and half of chapter 12, we will see a right answer to God's call to dwell with Him. We will understand how can we properly answer God's call and what this dwelling call means. Again, we will see how can we properly answer God's call and why is this dwelling call. But first, let's recap a little bit where we are in the book of Nehemiah. So, previously in the book of Nehemiah, God has been faithful to his people. God brought them back from exile to the land of their inheritance around Jerusalem. In chapters 1 to 7, we saw that the people rebuilt the temple and the city walls, despite all difficulties and oppositions to the task. Chapters 8 to 10 focuses on rebuilding the identity of the people of God. In these last three chapters, uh, the covenant between God and his people was at the center of everything that was written. Chapter 8, they gathered to read, listen, and understand the word of God. Chapter 9, they gathered to confess their sins in response to what they read. And in chapter 10, there was a renewal, a commitment to keep the covenant of God. However, our text today comes back to a problem that we left on chapter 7, verse 4. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few. The walls are there. The temple is there, but the city is empty. What is the purpose of an empty city? Our passage today records the reoccupation of the holy city of Jerusalem. It shows us how Jerusalem was filled with people, flesh and bones. But why does this matter? Why a book like that, why a book like Nehemiah spends almost two chapters recording names, places, and numbers? Why does this matter for us? Because Nehemiah is recording action. Answering God's call means taking action. Answering God's call means taking action. Nehemiah is writing down not only what was said, but what was done. And this is how the people of God took action when they answered God's call. God's call was made when Ezra opened the book and read for them all the things that God commanded to Israel. So after reading the word of God, confessing their sins, renewing the covenant, the people of God acted. They put their words into action. Their action immediately follows the commitment that they did. On verse 39 of chapter 10, we will not neglect The house of our God. They were putting in action the words of their commitment. Remember that the people of God just came back from the exile. It was a time of separation between the people of God and God. between A time of separation between the people of God and the place where the name of God dwelled. Jerusalem was important because the temple was there. The temple was the place where the name of God dwelled. So they took action. For the words that they had committed to but it was not any kind of action it was a specific kind of action it was an action in faith it was an action in faith reoccupying the holy city of jerusalem was an act of faith their actions were based upon what god has spoken they acted based upon what god has said In chapter 8 and 9, they recall the history of the people of God and all the great mercies that God had to them throughout history. They remember how God kept his covenant throughout all their story. They remember Noah. They remember Abraham, Jacob, Egypt, Moses, the promised land, the period of the judges, all the way through David. They remember the consequences of sin. They remember the reason of the exile and the nature of their hearts. God provided in the exile, and he provided a way back to the promised land. The people's response is trusting God's word. Remember that they had never seen Jerusalem before. Most of these people were born into the exile. They had never seen the city before. They are moving into a city not because they were homesick. They were stepping into the unknown. However, they knew God, and they knew God's word, and that was enough for faithfulness. They knew God, they knew what God has said, and that was enough for faithfulness. Church, what motivates your actions? What is the reasoning behind what you do? Romans 14:23 says that whatever that does not proceed from faith is sin. Our actions should be motivated by what God has spoken. Faith is the firm conviction in what God said. Actions of faith are not a jump into the darkness. Actions of faith are rooted in God's word. What we believe matters for the way that we live. Our hearts are full of deceitfulness, but the word of God is pure and revives the soul. The word of God is a lamp for our feet and a guide to our path. It matters for the way that we live. So answering God's call requires action, an action of faith, but acting in faith can be challenging. Acting in faith can be hard. It confronts our our priorities. It confronts our hearts. So answering God's call requires sacrifices many times. I will say all the time, maybe. Answering God's call demands action, an action of faith, but also an action that involves sacrifice. Acting in faith means reshaping the way that we view the world around us. Acting in faith means seeing the world through God's eyes, not our own. But that can be hard. Our sinful hearts have corrupt affections that run deep into our souls, into our bodies. Many times God calls us to sacrifices because he wants to turn our hearts to him because He wants to change us in order to extinct our worldly affections that we may find all in Him. That is the cause for sacrifices many times. I would say all the times. Chapter 11 is precisely this. People in time and space turn their hearts to God. It is a historical mark showing that their commitment was not only merely empty words. It's a historical mark. These are names of real people that lived in the 5th century before Christ. In the Near East, these names are flesh and bones. In time and in space, in a period of various wars around them. Traveling was hard. Insecurity was a thing. No health insurance, no smartphones, no air conditioning. That was a hard life. The city that they heard in stories was an Empty city for more than 140 years. There was nothing there. Have you ever seen a ghost town? That was Jerusalem for 140 years. Jerusalem was a dangerous place. Remember the opposition that they faced when Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshen conspired against Nehemiah in chapter 6. Jerusalem would be the first place in the region that enemies would attack, and it would be hard to escape. On top of that, the economy of the time was almost entirely agricultural. So having a field would mean the main source of income. Moving into Jerusalem would will mean, will mean to leave your field behind for an uncertain future. We will find a job. Will there be enough space for every one of us? Will there be food for us? What am I, what am I going to do in the city of Jerusalem? They will have to restart their lives and probably fight against enemies in Jerusalem. Dangers and tribulation were not only possible, they were almost certain within the walls of Jerusalem. But look what happened. The leaders went to live in Jerusalem first. They gave the example of sacrifices for the people to follow. That is why Nehemiah records the names of the leaders throughout our chapter. After firming the covenant, the leaders went to live in Jerusalem despite all the risks. Christian leaders here today, this is a great story of Christian leadership. The leaders of the people chose to sacrifice themselves for the name of the Lord. They knew what mattered and they gave the example. And many times, leading the people of God is like this You are the one to take risks first. Christian leadership, many times, is being the one to take risks first. And that can be scary, but trust the Lord. God called you not to be successful in the eyes of the world, but to see the world through God's eyes. God called you not to be successful through the eyes of the world. God did not call you to fame, but he called you to be faithful. If you are taking risks, obeying the word of God, you are safer than ever. If you are taking risks to obey God, you're safer than ever. And do you know what good leadership leads to? Followers. The people followed. Notice that the people select some to go. The text said that people cast lots and selected some to go into the city. They understood what was at stake. They understood that what they were doing, and that mattered. That is why they blessed those who volunteered to go. In English, it may sound that there's two groups here, one of those who were selected and one of those who were volunteered. But the original idea is not that. The original idea is that both of those groups are one group. The selected ones gladly submitted to the task of repopulating the city of Jerusalem, and they were blessed for it. That was that what was happening here. Since I arrived here in USA, I've been learning a lot of new expressions, very interesting new expressions. I've listened to some great ones like, this costs an arm and a leg. That's pretty intense, right? Another expression that i have listening a lot, he went on a rabbit's trail. I'm not trying to do this this morning. He went on a rabbit's trail. I listened this week, uh, you can't have your cake and eat it too. I'm not sure about the meaning of this one. It's still a work in progress. (laughs) But my favorite so far that I've listened in this past couple of months is this one. He has to put some skin in the game. He has to put some skin in the game. It normally means putting some money or being physically invested, taking risks to demonstrate interest. If something really matters to you, you are willing to take risks to achieve your goal or to protect what's precious to you. The people of Israel is putting some serious skin in the game, like real skin in the game. Literally, they are putting skin, flesh, and bones inside of the city of Jerusalem. They are transforming a ghost town into a vivid city. And this chapter records real people like you and me, flesh and bones, with the same struggles, same anxiety, same uncertainty, same fear that we have, taking real risks to obey God. This is what this chapter is talking about. Look, don't, don't forget this fact. These are real people. Church, our faith is historical. Historical. Our faith is historical, based on facts that actually happened. This is not a made-up story with a moral lesson by the end. These are real names, real people, real places, real challenges. This is our story, the story of people of God. We believe in a true and living God that acts in history, in time, and in space for the good of his people. We believe that what the Bible says is true. We believe that what the Bible says is true. Do you believe it? Do you believe that what the Bible says is true? Do you believe that all circumstances and facts are under control of God? That is not an unimportant question. That really matters to what we are learning here today. This next week, when hard circumstances arrive, what will you believe? Will you believe that those circumstances are under the control of the mighty and powerful hand of God? Or will you believe that it all is just random? Remember these names. God is not only in control of big events, but he knew names and he knows names. God inspired the pen of Nehemiah to write these names down, each one of those. He knew each and every name here. God knew their history, their struggles, their dreams, their hearts, their anxieties, their fears. God called each one of them by name to follow him. God knows all names and God knows your name. If God called you to follow him, there will be sacrifices down the, ho- in the road. And God knows it. God knows there will be sacrifices. But no sacrifice made in, the, made in his name is vain. No sacrifice made in the Lord's name is vain. Don't be afraid. God is sovereign over the smallest detail. And the smallest detail is working for your good. That was the Bible says. And I believe it's true. So, I understand. They answer. They answer in action. They answer in faith. They require sacrifice. I understand all of that. But why they did it? What was God calling them to do? What was the call? What was the meaning of the call? God called them to live in Jerusalem. Because God was calling them to dwell with him. And dwelling with God means worship. God's call was a call to dwell with him. And dwelling with God means worship. Take a closer look to what has been said in this chapter. In the midst of all these sacrifices that they are doing, all the things that they are facing, they are rejoicing. Because God has spoken to them in his word. They are full of thanksgiving. Nice word for the season. They are full of thanksgiving because they belong to the Lord. A call to dwelling together is not a call you made to anyone. It's it's an important call. A call to dwell together means a definitive commitment. It means that you are my people. You are my family. A call to dwell together means adoption and belonging to one another. The people of God belongs to God. And if you belong to God here today, this is your ultimate comfort. That you are not your own, but you belong to God. Body and soul in life and death to your Savior, Jesus Christ. That's your comfort. God's call to dwell with Him is a call of belonging. And the proper response of that is worship. Their actions are only explained through faith. And the proper response of faith is worship. Notice the language of worship through our passage. One out of ten moved to the city. Israel, as a nation, is giving a people tithe. They are giving one out of ten to the city. They are consecrating those people as chosen people, people of God's own possession. These names are being offered as instruments to the city, as an offering in the temple. This is worship. And what, look at the variety of instruments that they are offering. They're offering all sorts of people with all sorts of gifts. Priests, Levites, high priests, singers, men who work inside the temple, men who work outside the temple, political leaders, gatekeepers, which means like people who protect the city, military men, different people serving together and worshiping together in the house of, of God. Different people serving together and worshiping together in the house of God. Sounds familiar? Different people. We are different people. Serving together and worshiping together in the house of God. We are different. And there's a variety of ways to serve the Lord and His church. God created us in unity and in diversity. And this is a blessing. Imagine if we were all equal here. Imagine all Philippians filling filling this, this place here. The amount of bad jokes will be unbearable. (laughs) It will be terrible just Philippians inside this place. God is glorified in diversity. But all these people are serving one Lord. By offering themselves as living sacrifices, God is glorified in unity. God knows all the gifts, and he provides all the gifts according to the needs of the church. Okay, so God called us to dwell with him. Dwell with him means worship. And wherever worship is, there is hope. God's call to worship means hope as well. God was calling them to dwell with him in Jerusalem, the house of God, a house of worship. And this house of worship was built to shine. Was built to shine. The call to populate Jerusalem was a call to make that city a beacon of light To the nations, Isaiah 49.6 says that the Lord will make Israel a light for the nations. That my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. Here God is reestablishing Jerusalem as a lighthouse to the ends of the earth. Look that not all were chosen to live inside Jerusalem. Many here in our text remained in the land of their inheritance around Jerusalem, and they were serving faithfully there. That call was no lesser call. The temple and the sacrifices were a sign of hope to the world. The villages listed here around the territory of of Judah and Benjamin uh, are all important. Some of these villages here are even beyond the borders of the Persian Empire that Nehemiah served. Some were called to serve worshiping in Jerusalem, in the temple, but some were called to live far away there, in Negev, and Debón, and all the way up in the valley of Ono, making the name of the Lord known among different nations. There was a light coming out from the Mount Zion where Jerusalem stands, and this light should be shared, should be shined upon all the nations around them. Notice that this image here, this picture, was vital to Jesus as well. Jesus in Matthew 5 14 to 16 talks about this exact same idea. Jesus says that the church is the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. We are sent to shine this light, a light that says words of life, of truth, and and healing. We are only here today because somebody in the past obeyed this call. We are the ends of the earth. Somebody in the past listened to this call to shine the light to the nations and obeyed this call. We don't have a name of all those people involved in in bringing the message to us today. All the men that were involved in bringing this light to us, but God knows all the names. God has a list. And we are called to continue this same call, to do the same. We are called to shine this light of hope to those around us, to love those around us. We are living in a foreign land, waiting to return to our homeland. And this is our call now. Your call call today is a call to shine the light of the world, Jesus Christ. A pastor that I like said one time that missions exist because worship does not. I don't know if you know him. Pretty famous. But mission exists because uh, worship does not. I'm talking about John Piper. Our call today is to bring worship wherever we go. Shine the light of this world is basically bringing worship. Making the Lord's name known wherever we go. Jerusalem was a place of worship and hope. That is the reason of chapter 12. In Jerusalem, there was forgiveness. Chapter 12 lists all the high priests and Levites since the first generation that came with Zerubbabel to rebuild the temple all the way to the days of Nehemiah. The Levites took care of temple and worship there, and the priests were in charge of the sacrifices to atone for the sins of the people. Worship and hope is the heart and soul of Jerusalem, The beacon of light to the world. What propels this world? world? What is the fuel that makes our world spin? I know that God sustains everything in His hands, He has control over everything. But what is the mean by God chose to move our our world forward? What is the mean that God chose to use to push us forward? Gravitational force, the sun, physics. Maybe our next meal, entertainment, fun, a giant elephant. I don't know what you heard out there. Worship makes this world spin. Worship pushes us forward. Every week, every Sunday, the people of God gather around the world, around our Father's world to worship. Worship. Today, our brothers and sisters in the world, in Korea, in New Zealand, in India, in Morocco, in Norway, in Chile, Scotland, England, I don't know, already worship our Lord. Our brothers in Hawaii are waiting for their opportunity. God sustains existence and guides all things for the good of his people. Every week, God provides a new breath, a new hope, a new energy for his people. And that is what makes our world spin. God is sustaining every smallest detail for the good of his people. But if you're following what I'm saying, you're probably thinking, "Ah, but there's something that's not happening here in our text. You probably understood that Jerusalem was only a shadow of things to come. These walls, these stones that we are reoccupying today, it was only a shadow of things that was to come. If you know the history of the people of Israel, you know that's not going to take long for them to mess things up. If you know yourself, you know that's not going to take long for you to mess things up. That Jerusalem of stones were corrupted by sin. We are corrupted by sin. They were flesh and bones like us, and they were corrupted by sin. However, there is a superior answer. An answer that took action in our behalf. An answer that obeyed and fulfilled the word of God, word by word. An answer that made the ultimate sacrifice. An answer that came to dwell with us. An answer that spread worship, light, and hope to the world. Jesus is the perfect answer. Jesus is the perfect and eternal answer to God's call to dwell with him. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is the light of the world. God provided a light that will never go out. God provided Jesus, which is the perfect light that will never go dark. Jesus is our greater and perfect high priest. Jesus is the high priest that went, that went once and for all into the holy places. A high priest that was the lamb himself. A high priest that sacrificed himself for us. Maybe you are here today and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. The Bible says that whoever believes in Jesus will not perish but have eternal life. What is hindering you to come? He came to rescue, to save you, to give you hope and eternal life. He came and dwelled with us and He calls you today to dwell eternally with Him. And all the fitness He requires, is to fill your need of him. That's all he requires. So come. In Jesus the father provided a way to reestablish worship. He sent us his son. Jesus is the only way. The only door to the city of God. We couldn't dwell with God. So the son of God became flesh. And dwelt with his people. To give light to the lost. Jesus came to reconcile us with the Father. He was God coming to live with his people in flesh and bones. Nobody put more skin in the game than Jesus. Jesus is the perfect answer. Jesus is the chosen stone laid on Zion. He is the precious cornerstone. The living stone rejected by men but precious in the sight of God. Firmed in the rock of Jesus Christ, the house of God stands. The house of God is the church. We are living stones being built as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer sacrificial, spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are living stones firmed on Jesus. We that couldn't stand before God, we are transformed in such a way that now we are His house. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. We couldn't stand before God. And now God dwells in us through Jesus. We that couldn't be in his presence, now we are his house in Jesus. Jesus is the perfect answer. Jesus Christ, century leaders of the reoccupation of Jerusalem that we are seeing here. Jesus Christ looked to that same city, that same walls, that same stones, and he wept. Jesus wept because that great stones, those great walls were only stones and they were only walls. Jesus wept because the proper answer of repentance, of faith and of worship was forgotten and sin was the rule of the land. But Jesus, the only true valiant man, Jesus walked through the same walls built by Nehemiah. He walked through those same gates Jesus went into the city, not to live in the city, but to die. Jesus was the true son of Peres. Jesus was the true leader of Judah. Jesus Jesus was the true lion of Judah that entered in Jerusalem to fight our battles. Jesus is the perfect answer. He died to bring peace, to purchase with his blood a list of names. Our names are written on his hands. Hands that bear scars. Jesus conquered death and resurrection in the glorious body. And he chose to bear scars as a sign of our blessed assurance forever. Our names are written on his hands. If he holds your name, who can separate you from his love? Who can go against the Lord Almighty? No one. Your name is written on his hands. Jesus is the perfect answer. He then went to prepare a place for us. A place where no more sorrow and tear will ever take place. He went to prepare a new city, a new Jerusalem, a perfect city. Without seeing that God himself is the architect and builder. The names that Jesus holds will only die once. Because they will never be forgotten. The names of the people of God. The name of people of God. Will never be forgotten. Because God knows them. God remembers them. And God will say each one of the names. In the last day. God on the last day. Will open the book of life. And he will read. Each and every name of those. Who answer his call. To occupy the celestial city of Jerusalem. He's calling you to dwell with him in his holy city forever. How will you answer? Pray with me. Lord, thank you for your Savior, Jesus Christ. The perfect answer that we could never provide. That we may hear your call today and believe. In Christ, give us a repentant heart, a new heart to love you. Grant us to believe in your word, listen to your call, that we may move into actions. That we may always carry worship wherever we go. Until that day when we will hear our name called by the voice of the Father, calling us to endless days of worship. In Christ, our solid rock, we stand. Amen.